Hi, this is Karen Therakin with Strategy Peak Sales and Marketing Advisors. If you're wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. Perhaps the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey, listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Hey, listeners, welcome to today's episode. Great to have you with us here again. And I've got a wonderful guest with me today. His name is Kieran Thurican. And he is the founder of the sales and marketing strategy firm, Strategy Peak Sales and Marketing Advisors, and a 27-year-old, uh, 27-year veteran of the sales and marketing industry. He has consulted for companies in numerous sectors, and he is also the author of the Amazon bestseller, The Seven Essential Stories Charismatic Leaders Tell, with details how anyone can move people and mountains with the power of the story. Kieran, a big welcome to you. Dennis, thanks for having me on your show. Uh, in fact, my first in Auckland, New Zealand. Oh, so that's awesome. always an honor. Thank you. Where <laughs> about you in the world on. today? Uh, we are way up here in Canada. So I'm in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and it's, we're almost done with uh, winter here. Almost. Give it another two, three weeks and we should be into spring. Yeah, awesome. We're um, just leaving uh, summer, of course, going into autumn. And so we're now heading our way towards winter. But it's always great to be with somebody else from the Commonwealth and uh, and uh, having you on the actual podcast as well. So um, whereabouts um, did you actually originate from? Because your name, is that from India? It's from India. In fact, I was born in India, yeah, but uh, we moved to England first and then to Canada you know, when I was five. And so I've been in Canada ever since then. And uh, it's been a while. I'm not, as, I'm not as young as I look. So I'm in my late 50s right now. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's been... Uh, it's been a long time, you know, in both the field and being the field here in Canada as well. Yeah, very good. Yeah, and um, so, of course, uh, hockey. You follow hockey, obviously? Uh, there's a lot of hockey that goes on here, <laughs> let me tell you. Okay. Yeah, so uh, one, of the, uh, one of the things about uh, Edmonton is it's the hometown of the Edmonton Oilers. And uh, it doesn't get any more uh, a rabid fan base than it does right here in Edmonton. And Edmonton's in catchment area is no more than like one and a half million, 1.8 million people. But the team is now worth $1.1 billion, according to Forbes magazine. Wow. Amazing wow, stuff. Yeah. yeah. I actually, um, I was in the, in the US because I, uh, I used to travel there a lot, um, five, six times a year to Dallas and uh, into the Bay Area and San Francisco as well. Um, but when I was in Dallas, there was a hockey game that I got taken to. I've never been to one. And I went to it and it was the Dallas All-Stars versus the Canadian Toronto Maple Leafs. I was going to yeah. say Maple Leafs. I don't want to. Don't want to uh, muck it up. But they had the Stanley Cup there, 
and I had I had a photo of the with a Stanley Cup. It was amazing, and I was like, "Oh, what is this cup?" And um, everyone's like, "Wow, you got a photo with it?" And I said, "Yep," um, which was pretty cool. So. Uh, interesting game and just love sports full stop. But I think it was just wonderful to see the whole thing happen. And so exciting. So hopefully one day I'll come to Canada and maybe you and I can go and watch a hockey game. You and I will have to go to a hockey game. In fact, uh, the uh, the new uh, arena is just uh, 10 minutes away from me, downtown. Excellent. So it's super yeah. close. Now, I've given our listeners a brief uh, introduction to your background. Uh, is there anything else you might want to share about your background? Well, it's a pretty straightforward uh, background. You know, I always find myself, you know, talking about myself a little boring. But, you know, for the last 27 years, I've been working in the sales business, the marketing business, sometimes the sales and marketing business. Mm-hmm. And I've been running companies uh, in the process and running uh, campaigns, obviously. Uh, I have a couple of uh, different interests. I'm an angel investor here in the area. And so I have my hands in a few different uh, companies. Uh, and ultimately, you know, your whole podcast about leadership. And uh, leadership is one of those clear things that all of these companies uh, are not relying upon from a single individual anymore. In fact, everybody has to step up into a leadership role of some kind, right? So it is a collaborative leadership process more than anything. And there is no savior of the company. Uh, you have to, you have to, a man or woman, <laughs> your individual areas and be able to bring it to bear in a cohesive whole for the company, for the enterprise, so that you can actually be a threat to the competitors and in the, va- in the process, create value for your customers. Nice. Oh, I love it. What a start. Leadership is no single individual. I, I love that. And Kieran, um, there's one thing I work with a lot of leaders that I work executives and I that I work with in teams, and it is the power of storytelling. And of course, your book is in relation to that. Um, how important is storytelling? Well, storytelling is all there is. In fact, the only time that you can make sense of your world is through the stories you tell yourself about it. And the only way you can communicate your world is through the narratives you tell your customers, your employees, your constituents about it. So the only way that uh, human brains, uh, human brains are remarkably well-suited, adapted evolutionarily to absorb, retain, and make sense of story. That's how we communicate. And so storytelling is the medium to drive the message. Hmm. And is that also the the, the medium to to drive the message, but also to connect with the audience? Uh, It's both because unless you have a message that resonates and that is visceral and that evokes uh, an emotive state and creates vision, possibility, you know, future states that they can participate in, you're not very relevant. And if you're not relevant, you are irrelevant yep. in the process, right? <laughs> so you, people may have just as well not have met you if you don't have a powerful, cogent narrative uh, that they can participate in. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good because I think I, I find that a lot of people tend to sort of go, huh? I don't get what they just talked about. Or others go, wow, this is the first person that I really understand. They get it. They just speak plain English. And I'm not sure if they do speak plain English. It's just the fact that people can relate to what they're saying. And people are, people are naturally attracted. Mm. You know, marketing. And so I'm a, I'm a marketing consultant. And, uh, and marketing has to do two things. It has to not only attract, but it also has to repel. Mm. It has to attract and repel at the same time. And so you're attracting your perfect audience and you're repelling your imperfect ones. So what that means is that the narratives that you tell, and in fact, the only thing that anybody buys from you at the very beginning 
is the story that you tell, the narrative. And the narrative has your customer as its hero. And so you now have, have a set of products and services that are effectively a ma- you know, and what that makes you is the uh, ma- the wizard, the wise wizard, the fairy godmother, and your products become the magic incantation, the amulet, the magic sword that transforms your customer from where they want to be to where they want to go. So you are in, and the only thing that you can sell at the very beginning is not the product. You have to sell the story about that transformation because if they don't buy into the story, they won't buy anything else. Yep. And, and I love what you just shared there. I think that's, that's brilliant. And would that also be not just for selling, say, to customers and things like that, but would it also be for a leader, I'm going to call it selling, but also taking people on the journey within the organization? That's the, would, would that also apply to that too? So, so when I say selling, you know, uh, the very first thing you have to sell is an idea. And ideas don't always, you know, uh, end up in products. They can end up in directions, and so, you know, uh, who is it? Columbus, you know, regardless of what the Christopher Columbus may be thought of today, he had to sell the Spanish king and queen, uh, Isabella, uh, on the idea of financing these three ships to the new world. Had to sell that idea. Uh, Steve Jobs had to sell uh, his board on the, uh, the what is the new Macintosh computer, you know, the whole thing, which saved the company, which absolutely saved the company. Now, he had to go spend 10 years in the wilderness in the meantime, but he had to sell. We're on the sales and persuasion base, basis, whether that's us as politicians, okay, and trying to convince the PR people to go into a direction. Uh, Mr. Zelensky is clearly in the sales business now. You know, he's not only keeping his own uh, people's spirits high, but he has to sell the Western powers on supplying him with not only moral support, but with weapons and with cash and with sanctions and all. It's all a sales process. And can you imagine a leader in his position without the ability to persuade? And, you know, we, you know, that entire country would be for naught at this point in time. But there's an example of, a, of an individual and he was a comedian. And comedians at their core uh, have to be in the communication business and really understand their audience. And so he already had these powers available to him. And to see this man step up into such a prominent role from what he was before, you know, is just awe-inspiring, absolutely awe-inspiring. But what's he doing? He's selling stories. Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. Great analogy. And I think it's just, it's just rolling out in front of us right now, right? And uh, it's a good way to look at it. Now, Kieran, how did you get into leadership? Uh, accidentally. <laughs> I think a lot of people get into leadership accidentally. You know, um, I've always, uh, I think you need to know what level of leadership you are most suited for as well. So I've never wanted to be a CEO, ever. I don't like a lot of aspects of it, uh, but I'm a great two IC, a second in command. I'm an absolutely great two IC. So I'm the guy. So I've, uh, we, I invested in a little company in a town here called Socialite Communications. We're a Shopify marketing agency. We do marketing campaigns for Shopify merchants. And I have two uh, young men uh, that I have partnered with. I'm the senior partner because I'm 20 years older than them. <laughs> but these two young men, they run the company. They, one of them founded the company, the, but the two of them run the company. And the three of us are partners. And the last thing I want to do is to be able to usurp any part of what they do because they are so much better at understanding the, can- the markets and the campaigns and the tactical than I am. But I'm a great 2IC. So I understand exactly what they do. I understand marketing and all this kind of stuff. But my role as a leader in that company 
is to occupy the leadership position of 2IC, second in command. I take care of things like uh, legal, finance, accounting, uh, uh, all these things that are on the perimeter of the core operations of the business that keep the whole together, that fund the whole, that create the legal structures for the whole. And that's something that is perfectly suited to my role as a leader. And what they do in the tactical, strategic operations of the business is perfectly suited for their personalities and, and their abilities as well. Find your role as a leader. There isn't one leadership position. There's multiple leadership positions. And isn't that really important? I mean, to know what your role is and, and own it. I think that, uh, and that it's okay to be the two IC, that if you can do it really well and you can knock it out of the park and be world-class in doing it, perfect. That's that's exactly what it is. And I think for our, our listeners here, it's important for you to understand the type of leader you want to be, but the actual leader you want to be. In other words, if it, you don't want to be a CEO, no problem. But what's the kind of leader that you want to be? Uh, I think it's really important. Kieran, Here's a question for you, and it's the person can be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? Steve Jobs, hands down. Now I've got, a, I've got, a, I love history. Absolutely love history. You know, I, I love reading about ancient, uh, ancient history, especially. Uh, and so, one of my favorites from from the old days uh, was, it was uh, Alexander the Great. Absolutely, one, great, phenomenal stories. Now you know, he's a military commander, but this young man took over. Uh, the reins of power from his father, Philip, as a 19-year-old boy. Now, he had been raised since he was 14 to occupy positions of power. But during the course of the next 12 years, you know, he took his, he took these Macedonian and Greek troops all the way to the frontiers of India, all the way to the frontiers of India. And he died pretty young, you know, at the age of 32. But uh, his legacy uh, still stands today uh, to the point where Greek medicine is still practiced in India. As an ancient, uh, as an ancient right, right, and so all the way through Afghanistan, all these kinds of things. How did he do that? Now, a modern day uh, equivalent to that might be, and what I'm saying is, you know, starting with just a, a, a pile of resources, and then you make something great out of it, would be Steve Jobs. Mm. Now he revolutionized. Steve Jobs revolutionized not one, not two, not three, seven different industries. He revolutionized seven in different industries. If he revolutionized one, he would be a great businessman. If he revolutionized two, he would be, you know, maybe a tycoon of some kind. To revolutionize seven different industries is the mark of a genius. And I consider both these, uh, both those examples, um, because Jobs had a very uh, success at a very young age as well. He wasn't given the uh, keys to the uh, Macedonian kingdom like uh, Alexander the Great was, but he was able to create these multi-billion dollar fortunes for, for Apple. And Apple's a $2 trillion company now because of the foundations that uh, Jobs set. How did he do that? He could only do that with powerful leadership skills. Mm. And maybe this is the, maybe you've already given me the answer to my next question, is that if you were to meet him on a park bench and have a coffee with him, what would be one question you would ask him? This might be surprising, but I would want to know his spiritual practice. Mm. Because Jobs had a very powerful spiritual practice, uh, you know, and uh, he made a spiritual pilgrimage at a young age again uh, to India. And uh, that profoundly uh, affected him. Uh, one of his favorite books was Autobiography of a Yogi. And uh, he would hand that out to his friends and, and such. So I, you know, and that is a big part of uh, what I've learned in the past uh, 20, 20 years, definitely in the last 10 uh, is that your spiritual practice 
is as much a part of you being a leader as as anything else, you know. And if you're not if you don't have some kind of a spiritual practice, uh, and I'm not talking about going to church and you know and worshiping according to the dictates of the Catholic Church or whatever it is, if that's what you want to do, please go ahead and do it. But I'm talking about something as simple as being calm, okay, and and being centered and being and allowing things to flow forward and being aware of yin and yang and knowing which is right for the moment, and so. What I have very deliberately done in the past five years, 10 years, has been to take time uh, in the mornings for at least a 30-minute to 50-minute uh, meditation. And I might do that multiple times during the course of the day just to zone in. Okay, and you know you can zone out or you can zone in. And zone in is, you know, you're not zoning into the business or the problems or the opportunities. You're zoning into yourself, into yourself. And so he had a powerful, now Jobs had a powerful spiritual practice. And one of, the, one of his best lines that I've read is that he, a reporter had asked him, you know, that he had basically missed the internet. Apparently he missed the internet, the, all the different revolutions that were happening in the internet. And uh, I forget exactly which products bypassed him at that point in time. And uh, the reporter asked, what are you going to do now? Because the reporter was framing it from the point of loss. <laughs> you know, you've lost out here. And Jump simply said, I'm going to wait for the next big thing because he knew there was going to be a next big thing. <laughs> because there's always a next big thing and always another opportunity to not only gain, but also to redeem yourself. And so that's part of that spiritual practice as well. And so when you look at it from that perspective, you know, and that's the only reason you have the iPad, I, iPod, iPhone, you know, and on it goes, right? That came all about after this reporter asked him that question. So how do you maintain that equanimity in that in your mind space to allow things to come together instead of you forcing things into place? Yeah, I like it. I love it. Let it come together. Yeah, yeah. And um, we need to be calm. We need to be centered to allow that to happen. And I think also that a leader who is calm is a leader who's in control. And I don't mean that to be a control freak. I mean, as somebody who knows where they're going, actually has real strong foundation, values, ethics, things like that. And um, uh, that's a really good thing. So I'm, I'm glad you, I am actually glad I asked that, that question. So then um, you could share that. So it's really cool. Now, the show here is called Leadership is Ta- Changing. That's the title of the show. When I say that title or statement, what does that mean for you? Leadership is changing. I think it reflects um, this idea of what people want out of their leaders. Uh, I, I put out a quote of the week uh, every week uh, on my LinkedIn LinkedIn uh, account. And um, one of the quotes is simply that uh, strong leadership emanates from strong storytelling and narrative to the point where the narrative, the, the narrative actually defines the leader. A great leader with a poor story becomes a poor leader. But even a mediocre leader with a great story has the opportunity to become a great leader. Hmm. So when I when you say to me that leadership is changing, it is about understanding the narrative that is relevant to the times today. And so you would never have heard of, you know, like 30 years ago, 40 years ago, you would not have seen the to the same level the impact of things like Black Lives Matter as a, you know, and, and this whole idea of inclusivity, representation, 
as it relates to how a leader imbues his organization, their organization, uh, with these values. Because people are very cognizant of wanting to see these values. You have BlackRock, uh, the world's biggest uh, money manager, insisting that their investee companies uh, have very high ESG ratings, right? Environmental, social, and uh, I think governance, right? ESG ratings. And so they're saying sustainability has to be a part of your mandate. It can't be just about making money. So we have all, so things are changing. And the when things are changing out there, which mandates that leaders have to change in to mirror what their people, their constituents, what the world at large wants out of their organizations. And and this is clear recognition that you are a part of the whole. You are not to not there to exploit the whole. You are there as a part of the whole. So what is your contribution? Yeah. Oh, good. Very good. Oh, wow. And so strong leadership comes from strong story or narrative and being able to actually deliver that and, and do that well, um, which is very good. Okay, cool. I love what you're sharing. I'm, I'm actually just taking notes. And listeners, I hope you're taking notes because there are some really, really cool things being shared here. Now, what you and I are living in a world that's fast-paced, ever-changing around data, social, technology, business. It's just really, really getting fast. And the speed, that rate of change is happening a lot faster as well. What makes a leader successful today in a fast-paced, ever-changing world? I think it's the same things that have always made a leader successful. And it is not whether the, it's the speed of change, you know, is we certainly have an increase in the speed of data. There's a, there's a, you know, data just quintuples and quadruples and, you know, triples, you know, all the time, right? And uh, so the rate of data available to us is exponentially changing. But I don't know if the rate of change has been exponentially changing. So I, I challenge that a little because if we take a look at somebody born in 1900, you know, at, at the turn of last century, what happened to them? Well, they saw two world wars, two, you know, police actions, maybe in Korea. You know, we saw Vietnam, the Vietnam War. We saw the advent of the, uh, the, of electrical power when it comes to urbanization and the availability of that, the automobile uh, flying. We went to the moon between 1903 and 1969, 66 years between uh, somebody getting off the ground for a little sputter flight, 150 yards, the Wright brothers, to all the way to the moon. So the rate of change has always been like that. I, and, and if it's not a rate of change uh, technology-wise, those are all technology examples, some geopolitical examples, right? Uh, it, it is just the rate of what has been going on in uh, with people as a whole. Uh, during the 1800s, uh, I think there was probably five regime changes in France alone. <laughs> five! <laughs> during uh, the time of Henry VIII uh, in uh in England, uh, there's probably, I don't know how many times they flip-flop between Catholicism and uh, the Church of England. Flip-flop, flip-flop, you know? So the change has always been there. Now, what has not changed is the ability of the leader to read the situation and the direction the winds are blowing and to provide safety and direction and a future that all their constituents can participate in. So it is clearly that ability to see that future vision and then translate that into a compelling, cogent narrative that everybody can see how they participate with and then can can actually partake of. 
Yeah, good, good. And I like what you're saying about reading the winds and then um, and then being able to actually adapt to that or change the direction. Uh, very good. Kieran, you and I have been talking about it through the lens of leaders and looking at it through that. If we had to change the lens and now start thinking about it from a, an employee's perspective, how has employees' expectations of leaders changed? This is really profound. Um, this is really profound because it's since about 1994, uh, when the World Wide Web t- uh, took place. And, you know, we went from uh, Web 1.0 to 2.0 to whatever it is today. Uh, we have this ability to not only partake uh, and participate in all sorts of conversations, but to generate conversations as well. So anybody can be a publisher at this point in time. Anybody can can uh, can participate in this dual process of participant and producer, participant and host. So what that simply means is that Everybody sees the, their own power multiplying as a result, sees their own power multiplying as a result, and therefore they are, feel more entitled and more empowered to have their voice heard. And so when we hire people now, the, you know, at my age, I'm from the baby boomer generation. Uh, when I came out of university, you know, as yes, sir, where do I sit, sir? And how much, how long should I work, work, sir? Right. And it was probably a sir. It's probably a gentleman that I was working for. More than likely, that was true. That's not the case today. The case today is that uh, now we have so many young people want to see uh, purpose-driven organizations beyond making a buck. And so it is very incumbent on leaders now to, to provide that purpose beyond this value proposition where the corporation is charging money for a product or a service. So how do we contribute to the uh, to the world as a whole, the community as a whole? How do we uh, provide you, the employee, not only with the opportunity to grow, but we take an active interest in that growth and we can show you that you have representation in our organization. You can see people who have gone through that process and that's where they are today. That's where they are today. And we have all sorts of different people and different diverse backgrounds, you know, participating in this growing, growing organization. So young people, especially are very adamant of, uh, you know, of, of wanting these kinds of value driven mission statements beyond making a dollar out of the organizations that they, that they serve. And in turn, they serve them. You know, the organization serves them as well. It's a trade. Yeah. And we're saying whereby. People are not getting that. They're not seeing it. And now today they're calling it the great resignation. It's like, hello, if you're not looking after people and you're not doing what you just actually shared there, then what do you what do you expect? Of course they're going to get up and leave. Of course they're going to go somewhere else and look for it. Um, and I, I think what you're saying is spot on the sense that leaders need to be awake to this and make sure that they are doing it. I've seen many leaders too on the other on the other aspect whereby they have somebody on board and the person resigns and goes somewhere else and they get so upset. And I'm like, wait a sec. Yeah, you don't want to lose people because, you you know, that's talent and things like that. But really, if they're going off to go and do something bigger, isn't that part of your success story? Isn't that part of our job as leaders to actually develop people? Isn't that what we're meant to be doing? Your, your uh, employee is your customer. In every possible sense of the word, they are your client. A client by definition, and I'm going to call them client instead of customer. A client by definition is someone under your protection. And that, that is what a client is. Lawyers have clients. They don't have customers. They have clients, somebody under their protection, which means they have a fiduciary responsibility, trust responsibility for that client to do the best thing in that client's best interest. Uh, 
we have that same responsibility for our people. And uh, Tony Robbins has a great line. And it's that the only time you're ever unhappy in your life is when you are not growing. So it's up to us as leaders to make sure our people continue to grow. If they're not growing, unhappiness is sure to result. So continue to, the opportunities in front of them, create the, the uh, what is the ability to, uh, to, to climb in the organization, to do their own thing, uh, and participate as fully as they want to participate in the mission of that company. Kieran, I'm going to get you now to get your crystal ball out here now. We're going to talk about the future. Um, where do you see leadership being in five years? I think leadership in the next five years is going to be in a lot. What won't change about leadership in the next five years is the core values of what makes a great leader. That will not change. That has not changed for 5,000 years, maybe 30,000, you know, when we were still, you know, in small nomadic tribes and you chose a leader, <laughs> you know, who is going to, to allow you to get to, you know, the proper hunting grounds and keep you safe from other tribes and such, right? 5,000 years ago when writing was invented and, you know, and on it goes, civilizations taking place of various kinds. Those leadership skills have, those leadership values have not changed. So what are those values? And those, you know, there's some very straightforward ones. One is to have some kind of vision for the organization. Okay. There's got to be some kind of ability to have a strategy. So you have to be a strategic thinker so that you can marshal the resources that you have, not even the resources you want, because nobody has the resources they, they completely want, but the resources that you have in a plan that allows you to achieve that vision, to be able to read people and situations so that you can provide opportunities. So these are all these kinds of core values that you have. That will not change. What will change is what the technology might morph into in the next five years. So can you imagine, uh, you know, back in the 1990s again, that the that would be the beginning of the demise of the newspaper industry as, as a local enterprise. Uh, local newspapers have been decimated as a result of the Internet's availability of information all over the place. Now, who survived are, play, are big organizations like the Wall Street Journal the New York Times, right? And they have survived, but the small town newspaper has been decimated because the technology of the internet was unleashed fully uh, by the World Wide Web, specifically the World Wide Web. Now, what is the next five years going to bring technology-wise? And that is one of those things, you know, and just like Steve Jobs, uh, back to Jobs, you know, I'm going to wait for the next big thing. But when you wait for the next big thing, here's what happens. Yeah, uh, it's it's like uh, John Kennedy saying, you know, the uh, Chinese word, uh, Chinese character for uh, crisis is exactly the same as the Chinese character for opportunity. So for every threat that comes to you in the way of that technology, there's an, there is going to be a resulting opportunity. And so a leader, uh, especially in the face of rising technological innovation, uh, is going to be threatened and given lots of opportunity, and it's up to them to seize it. The one thing you can't do is stand still. Yep. Yep. When you when you're going through that analogy, I was thinking about it's a bit like a, a bus, like in um, maybe in London, we've got the double-decker buses. The double-decker bus, double buses may slow down a bit, but if you're not actually moving to actually get on and grab the pole and jump on, you'll miss the bus. So it doesn't matter if you wait for the next big thing. If you're not actually still growing or moving forward, as you're saying, then you're going to miss it. 
and that's no no point at all. Um, you've got to make sure you're staying with it. I'm actually really excited about technology in the next five years, where it's going to go and what it's going to mean for us as well, which is great. But I love what your analogy with the opportunity, with this crisis, is an awesome opportunity too, for sure. Yeah, it's good. Kieran, hey, uh, I just want to say to you, thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? Well, Dennis, I'm, uh, my website is strategypeak.com. So strategy and then, then it's in mountainpeak.com. If you go to the right side there, you can check out my book, The Seven Essential Stories Charismatic Leaders Tell. And uh, it's available on Amazon, and but you can download a free chapter and an infographic, and that'll show you how to use the seven stories. That's all free. So please come in and check that out. Check out the website and grab a copy of the book. Yeah, Kieran, once again, thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciated today's conversation. Dennis, thanks for having me on your show. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes as they're being released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family, and your network. Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show, or if there's a question you have for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, then send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.